Good evening, everyone. Welcome. It's great to have you here tonight. Um, as these guys have just said, my name is Chris. I'm part of the team here. And um, if you missed the intro at the beginning, just want to say, like, if you're here for the first time, um, it's great to have you. You're so, so welcome. And uh, I hope you're enjoying your evening so far. Can we just give a shout out to our worship team tonight? They blessed me so much. And hopefully they bless you as well. They did great. Um, So as I mentioned at the beginning, this evening um, is going to be slightly different perhaps to what we um, normally do. Um, I'm going to speak for a little bit uh, at the beginning, 20 minutes or so, slightly shorter than normal, to allow us to then have um, our panel uh, a little bit later on. Because tonight, because we have this one-off opportunity before we start our Hebrew series next week, um, we're going to be looking at the topic of relationships, which is a very broad topic, um, but we're going to get our, our panel of wisdom, which is sat here in the front row, they're going to come up and, and, and share all their insight with you and answer some of the questions that you guys have been sending in during the week. Um, but before we kind of get into it, I want to do a couple of things. I want to firstly give a bit of a disclaimer at the beginning of tonight, which is to say that this evening's kind of gathering and meeting is not going to cover everything at all. Like in the time that we have, we just can't. It's such a broad topic. There's so much to discuss and talk about. So we're merely going to scratch the surface, actually. Um, and so tonight, I really want you to treat it as the start of a conversation. And don't think, well, you know, when you leave, you're like, well, it didn't answer my exact question or address my very specific situation. You think, well, that's a shame. I'll wait in a few more years until there's another session like this. No, 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 like, let's keep talking about this stuff, um, whether it's after the, the meeting this evening, whether it's in home groups this week, or, or simply just with friends and leaders within the church. Let's keep the conversation going. If tonight doesn't address kind of your very specific question or life situation, um, don't expect everything to be covered in the time that we have this evening. And then as well as that little disclaimer, I want to create a bit of a blanket rule for all of us tonight, if that's okay. And that is this, that I want us to have absolutely loads of grace for each other this evening. You know, each of us has made tons of mistakes in our lives, whether we like to believe it or not. And yet God, in his immeasurable grace, love, and kindness, has saved us, brought us into his family, and made us into sons and daughters. And I want us to have the same sort of gracious attitude towards each other this evening, right? There'll be, I'm, I'm sure, plenty of opinions that vary and differ in the room, certainly differing uh, life experiences and situations. So in amongst it all, let's have no judgment, no condemnation, but lots of grace for each other and just agree that, hey, we're in this together as a community, as a family. Let's talk. We're here to help and serve one another. Is that all right? Can we all agree to that? Excellent. Um, so why the topic of relationships then? You know, there are so many things that with kind of one evening spare like we could have spoken on. Um, so why this one particularly? Well, firstly, I think it's just that it's a massive topic in our culture and in society today, isn't it? And I don't think it'd be overstating it to say that actually almost like the state of humanity largely rests on the state of our relationships on an individual level, yes, but also kind of cross-cultural, cross-borders. And, and I know that so many of you, there are burning questions, live issues that you want some help in and think like, I don't know how I'm supposed to do this. I want to honor God with it all. Um, so I want to try and address some of that this evening. That's why, we're gonna, why we've got questions in during the week, why we're going to chat about that later, because we know that it's real, it's relevant, it's something that we need to be talking about as a church. And the other reason is quite simply that when Paul writes to the Corinthian church that whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God, He's not just referring to the sort of like Christian bits over on the side. It's everything. And so our relationships absolutely get brought into that. Like in all of our relationships, whether it's friendships, family life, marriage, single life, whatever it covers, we want it to be done to the glory of God, don't we? 
Like, that's why we're here. So that's why we exist. And so that is very much our mandate at the start of this evening. And so we're going to go in pursuit of that goal to honor God in our relationships um, by first turning to the Bible. It's a good place to start always. Um, perhaps not the passages that you'd be expecting. Uh, if we did a straw poll, I would be very surprised if any of you guessed the passages we're going to choose. Um, they were a bit of a surprise to me. So we're going to start in, um, in Genesis 1. Very easy to find right at the beginning. Um, so I'm going to do, do a couple of verses from Genesis 1, and then I'm going to nip forward to John 1 as well, okay? And in both chapters, I'm going to pick just kind of two pairs, no, one pair, two items um, from the text, which we're going to read together. Um, so if you've got a Bible, go right to the start, Genesis chapter 1, and we'll go from verse 1 to 3 first. If it's too much bother to flick all your pages, the words will be on the screens. Um, so Genesis 1, verse 1 through to verse 3, says this. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Now the earth was formless and empty. Darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was hovering over the waters. And God said, let there be light, and there was light. And then skip with me down to verse 26 in that same chapter, and verse 27. It says this. Then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish in the sea and the birds in the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals, and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And then flick all the way to the other end of the Bible and find the New Testament and find John's Gospel, which is the fourth book in the New Testament, and again, I'm going to read John chapter 1, verses 1 through to 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him all things were made. Without him nothing was made that has been made. And then skip down with me to verse 18 in that chapter. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son who is himself God and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So we're going to be referring to um, those uh, passages, those verses tonight. Um, and as I said, probably not your go-to passages. Like when you type into Google, what does the Bible say about relationships? These fellas aren't even on the list, right? They, they don't get close. There's lots of other passages in Scripture that go into more specifics. Um, so why start here then? Why pick these ones for an evening on that topic? Well, because actually the way that we live our lives, you know, whatever topic it is we want to cover, the way that we are as humans actually all stems from what God is like and knowing him and understanding his very nature. And, and often... We get sucked into, I think, quite an individualistic way of thinking where we maybe think about our life and think, well, my life is going to be a certain way or I want it to be a certain way. And then I'm going to fit everything else in around kind of what I have set out for myself. When actually we should be doing it the other way around. That actually we look to God first, get to understand him and what he's like, put that at the very center, and then we align ourselves with him. And so actually what you end up having is that our theology, that is our understanding of God and our study of him, that informs how we live and how we think, not the other way around. 
And so what we're going to do is we're going to start kind of, I suppose, on that kind of slightly higher level, like looking at simply the very nature of God, what he's like, what we can glean from him. And then in our panel later, we're going to go all the way from up there right down into like, okay, in light of that, what do I do tomorrow? Like, what do I do with my life this week? Like, get very real and very practical for all of us. So we started then with these verses, as I said, because they tell us about, in fact, the most fundamental aspect of God's nature. That he is three distinct persons, each of which is fully God, and he is one God. I don't know how we're supposed to get our heads around that. Rick spoke on this this morning and brilliantly was like, right, you, even with your fingers, you just can't make it work. It's like three and then one, and like you just, it, you can't compute it. But I don't think we're supposed to. It is this wonderful mystery that God is all of these things at once and holds it all perfectly together. And we see this in our, in our verses, in fact, the, the three persons referred to, you know, in Genesis, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Okay, so before anything, there was God, and then he created. We're also told it right at the start that the, the spirit was present at the point of creation, hovering over the waters, breathing life into that which was being made. Okay, so at the beginning there was God and there was spirit. And then in our John passage, we read in the beginning, like making this parallel to the Genesis passage, was the word. And the word was with God. And as you read that, the initial part of that chapter, you discover that the word is referring to Jesus, who in verse 18 we're told is the one and only son. And if he's a son, by definition then, God is father to him. So we have father, spirit, son, three distinct persons. But even in our John verses, we're told that the son is himself God. And in other parts of scripture, the spirit is referred to as God. And there is one God. This great mystery is what we now know as the doctrine of the Trinity. God is three in one. And actually understanding, or perhaps at least knowing what he is, if not understanding it in its entirety, is no exaggeration to say that, that knowing him in that way affects absolutely everything, including and especially our relationships. Because it means that relationships weren't just something that happened by accident. Like it wasn't just God created mankind, and then all of a sudden it was like, oh, I guess these guys need like a way of interacting, so I'll, I'll give them this concept of relationships. But actually, even before any of that happened, relationships were the very essence of God himself, from eternity to eternity, in his exact nature. Within himself, he is relational. Father, eternally loving and pouring affection out on the Son. The Son, reveling and delighting in that and pouring his love back to the Father, whilst at the same time loving the Spirit, and the Spirit honoring then the Son and Father and wrapping the whole thing up in the fellowship of the Holy Spirit. This beautiful image of Father, Son, Spirit, loving one another before creation ever began. From eternity to eternity. This eternal communion was taking place within this entirely relational God. That's what he's like. And so he becomes our model. 
when we come to an evening like this and we think, okay, we're going to try and figure out how to do relationships. Like, what do we base that on? Do we just kind of take wisdom from the world? No, first we go to God. He becomes our framework for how we do this. You know, I, I often hear, and I've been here myself, hear people saying, oh, I would love to be discipled by or learn from someone that's kind of got a few more years on them than I do. So I can learn from their experience in these things. You know, and young married couples saying, well, I want to get to know a couple that have been married maybe for, for, for 10 years. I don't know why that's the golden number, but for 10 years, then I can not make all of the mistakes that they did. Great. Well, how about gleaning wisdom, not from the people around us first, but going to God and saying, what can I learn from Father, Son, Spirit, this eternal, loving God? What can I glean and pick up from that first? As I said, that theology, that understanding of what God's like will then inform the way that you live life. So what do we learn then from this eternal relationship between Father, Son, Holy Spirit? We learn that that a godly relationship is about love. You know, we're told in Scripture that, that God is love. He is the very definition of it. And later in the Bible, we come across a very famous passage that it, you'll have heard a number of weddings, I'm sure, about what love is like, what that relationship is like. We're told that love is patient, that it's kind, that it does not envy, it doesn't boast, it's not proud, it does not dishonor others, it's not self-seeking, it's not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. This then becomes our framework for relationship. All of them get covered by this. And it means that relationship in every form is, is not supposed to be about the self. It's not supposed to be about your interests. It's supposed to be about self-giving. That's what Father, Son, and Spirit have been doing through eternity. It's not about magnifying one's own interests, but about loving and honoring the other. That's what's been going on throughout the ages. Even before anything that we know took on any form or substance, Father has been loving the Son, has been loving the Spirit, has been loving the Father round and round and round. They've been giving themselves to one another, honoring one another. So our model then for relationships, wherever your mind initially went, kind of undo and backtrack from all that, our model for relationships is God, who has been perfectly loving within himself from eternity. That is our starting place. Now that's all well and good, except... I don't know how you feel, but that seems like quite a high bar to me. So when you're like, okay, well, I'm going to ask this person out. Like, I need to do it like the Trinity has been doing it for eternity. Like, whew, that is no small task, is it? We have this perfect model, but in some ways, like, that means that the bar feels like it's set too high. And um, I don't know if you've ever had that feeling where you like look at something and you think, oh, I could do that, and then you kind of look into it a bit more and you think, ah, no, actually, I can't. 
And literally, as I was like doing this part of the message in my prep, um, I happened to skip over to Facebook, and the Lord provided me with the great anecdote, which I will tell you now. Um, <laughs> so on my Facebook feed was then an advert for um, Hamilton auditions, you know, Hamilton the musical, which I've not seen, but I've heard great things. Um, and it, you know, the headline was like, be part of the phenomenon. And like just a glancing thought across my mind was like, oh yeah, I'd like to be part of a phenomenon. <laughs> and uh, so I was like, oh, I'll, I'll read the rest of the advert. I don't know why, but I did. And um, the first thing, <laughs> cheers mate. The first thing, the first thing they were asking for, um, it, it was singers. And I was like, oh, like I dabble a little. Um, but then it's like singers and rap, and you're like, ooh, I don't know. My wife's saying no, so uh, there we go. I'm not sure if that's quite for me. It's fine, okay, but there's another column, yes. And you move over to the column, and it's dance. You think, oh, no. <laughs> and then you read the detail, and it's like looking for high-caliber dancers, particularly in the area of contemporary and hip-hop to a high degree. And then across my mind glances like flashbacks of all the weddings that I've been to, where that time in the evening comes where it's time to go dancing. And my wife sort of grabs my hand, like, please come dance with me. I'm like, oh, no, but I will. And you get up onto the whatever area it is, and, um, and I can just see myself while I'm looking at the sandbar, just like bopping, <laughs> you know? And I'm like, Hamilton, I appreciate the offer, <laughs> but I don't think I could do this. I think, I think the bar has been set a little too high for me, right? And um, it can feel a little bit like that when we're trying to kind of attain to what God is like and his nature and think, how on earth? Am I supposed to get remotely close to that? I just can't. Well, tonight, I want to tell you that actually you can. And there's two reasons that I want to go into as to why that is the case. Firstly, is because you have been made and wired to be like God. And secondly, that he has actually given himself to you to make you like him. Now, let me unpack both of those for you. So, we're told in Genesis 1, right at the beginning, that um, in our verse 26, that God said, let us make mankind in our image. Okay, so there's a plurality there, a father, son, spirit, sitting around the coffee table saying, oh, let's make humanity to be like we are, in relationship with one another, honoring and self-giving to each other. Yeah, let's make them like that. And that's how we are wired. That's how you are wired. Mankind was made to be in the image of God. It's almost like internally that's what you have got kind of pre-written into your code or something. To be loving, to be honoring, to be self-giving. And yet, why does the world not always look like that? Well, actually, it's because at the first sign of temptation, humanity fell at that first hurdle and and chose to pursue its own selfish ambition instead of pursuing God's way and turned away from what he had laid out for them. We call it sin, turning away from God for our own self. And because sin came into the world, the world has since then been broken and fractured and confused and humanity as such as well. And so what was originally supposed to be the case kind of hadn't quite come into fruition. But if I can kind of push the analogy a little bit, the wiring was still there. So you've been made to be like God, you've been wired that way, but sin came into the world and messed it up. But then the second reason why you can is because God, being so self-giving of himself, 
and so loving as we sang about. I mean, we sang about love all evening so far. In his love, it poured out of the Trinity to us in the form of giving Jesus to die on a cross to undo the effects of sin over humanity. To undo everything that had been broken and fractured. And in doing so, made a way for this wiring almost to come back to life. And so now if we just believe and put our faith in Jesus and, and, and recognize his love and what he's done for us, more than just, oh, the effect of sin is undone, okay, well now I can try it on my own, then God actually gives us the Holy Spirit to live in you and me to almost bring that wiring back to life again. Like that's the current that starts flowing. So then everything that you were made to be actually becomes very possible. Now, not straight away. Immediately, we, you know, we've got a lifetime of habits and, and things to kind of undo, but it's possible. We can begin to love as God would have us love, as he has always done. Our lives get restored. Our relationships get redeemed. And we are transformed from being sinful selves, very focused inwardly, into a true kingdom community, full of love and honor for one another, self-giving. And so when we start thinking about relationships in, in that way, we, we move from it being like a very surface level thing. It's like, she's got a nice face, I'll take her for coffee. Or he supports the same football team as me, I guess we'll be friends for life. Or like all of this stuff that is very shallow actually, we move from it being a very superficial thing to being a deeply spiritual thing. When we actually begin to reflect the very nature of God and take seriously what he had laid out for his creation. And because this eternally relational God is so loving and so kind and so good to us, we can bet for sure that when we relate to one another in this way, in his way, it will absolutely be the best way for us, without any shadow of a doubt. And so when we start thinking about relationships, how we shape our lives around other people, let's adopt something of this framework that God has set out for us. Because his love has poured out from himself to us. We've received it. We have all the help we need. And we have each other to do it with. We do it in community. And we change a city. And the world notices and the gospel goes out. So I want us to have that framework when we think of relationships for the rest of this evening. Because we're going to go from the lofty heights of the doctrine of the Trinity <laughs> all the way down to how do you ask someone out on a first date. And with that, I'm going to welcome up our panel. Should we give them a round of applause? Um, so as I said, we're going to take kind of that framework that I've talked about, everything that we can model on the very nature of God, learn from him. And um, now we're going to start chatting about the things that are live to you. Um, and with all of the stuff that we discussed, like use that as your filter, okay? And so it's not so much about, like, I just want to get the answer to kind of my specific question, but 
how do I honor others? How do I love others? How do I serve others with all of my relationships in the context of these situations? Does that make sense? Thank you, Hannah. Um, And what's been happening in the last week or so is lots of you have been sending in questions online. So thank you so much for that, because that's helped shape some of our discussion and like where we're going to go this evening. Um, I'm just going to introduce these guys, in case you don't know them. This is Ben. On that end, this is his wife, Emily. It's what happens when you've been married 13 years. Yeah, yeah. (laughs) Don't read into this. Um, We had a fight before we came out. So Ben and Emily lead the church here. Um, This is Alex. Alex is one of our group leaders here and a deacon in our evening service. And then that is B, who is my wife, um, who leads this congregation with me as well. So um, this is your panel. I'm going to be chatting to them. We're going to be answering some of your questions. Let's get into it. So... Question first for those that are married. How did your friendships change when you got married? From what they were before, all of a sudden you get married, how do they differ afterwards? Um, And how did you kind of adjust to that season of life? Who's going to go first? Would you like me? Go on then. Um, That's a good question. I think I assumed as we got married, everything would like carry on. I'd be like, oh great, now I've got a husband, I'll still hang out with all my friends. I mean, he can come along sometimes if he wants, but like, <laughs> I'm still my own person, I'll do whatever I want. Um, but there was a real shift for me. Um, I, in fact, um, I'm probably quite a few of you know this that I spoke to about the time, but I found my first year of marriage, sorry Chris, not because of you, really, really lonely. Um, I found it really hard because I just expected everything to stay the same. And it, does, it didn't, and it doesn't, and that's totally fine and completely normal. Because now I had this other person to, you know, see every day. Rather than Chris kind of visiting, I don't know, my, me and my housemates every night, Chris was, Chris is, sorry, Chris is now my family. Um, so he's number one priority, which means that actually, you know, if one of us stays late work one night, Chris is out at a meeting one evening, that means that the free evening we have together has to be us, like, together, doesn't it? Which means that's a night not to see friends. Or sometimes people didn't invite me to stuff because someone actually once said to me, you're married now, so you don't come out with single people anymore. So stuff does change, um, and that's okay, and it might take a while to work out, and I'm definitely not in a place of feeling lonely anymore, and I have to make sacrifices, and we do, don't we? Yeah. Sacrifices sounds very extreme, but sometimes we're like, hey, we won't see each other maybe this week, but it means I can hang out with friends. Um, so it definitely took a, a bit of a shift and took a while to get used to, but I think going into it knowing it, it does change, and friendships do move on, and friendships do look different, um, it's completely normal and fine. Yeah, like that's okay. Yeah. yeah. And even just more broadly than that, we had some questions come in actually about the dynamic of friendship over time, which, you know, naturally people do change and sort of, you know, people say, well, we grow apart and stuff like that. But any comments on just like what that's like, how you handle that when you know you're changing, like the relationship feels different to what it was before and how you can kind of manage that as, as a good friend? In a friendship, Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, so my experience was I lived with a girl before I met Ben, and we were very close friends, like best friends, did everything together, did church together, did like kind of did life together, and I don't know if some of you in that situation. So I think I'd had a lot of teaching. I don't know if I'm answering your question, but I'll just say it. Find out, yeah. <laughs> I'd had lots of teaching about leaving your parents when you get married and making sure you leave your parents really well, and then you sort of cleave into your husband and you're building life with them. But for me, I'd already left my parents that that had been years ago, really coming to university, and, and the dynamic of our relationship was that I'd kind of left them and I wasn't, didn't feel dependent on them. But I guess I'd built up this kind of um, dependent relationship with another girl. And so it kind of, in a way, it was sort of like I had to, 
in some aspect to leave that because in oh, marrying okay. Ben, yeah, yeah. it's it's not so much that what that became or that that couldn't be something. It's more now like this is my primary relationship apart from with God, and like we want to build a life together. We want to. You think maybe when you get to the point of being married that you know each other really well, but I think you get married and you realise there's so much more to know. You're like, oh my uh, goodness, yeah. why did I react like that? Why did you react like that? What's going on here? And but and also we just want to invest in that relationship. That's the most important relationship. Um, and after tw- 12 years of marriage, <laughs> we. <laughs> It's fine. Um, We we still enjoy spending time together, and I was still. (laughs) I've lost everybody now. I would choose to like. I would want to go to Ben first with stuff. I would want to, um, you know, chat things through with Ben first. Not to say that I can't with friendships, but it's just kind of your first port of call, your primary relationship. Maybe shifts, or for me, it shifted. And there was some pain in that and difficulty in that, but um, it is that kind of adjustment and where your priorities lie. And like now I'm building a life with my husband, that's my priority. And so these other things are important and need to maintain good friendships, but they've got to kind of fit around that. Yeah, it's great. The shift for me um, was quite big in that, um, and I'm not going to comment on the 13 year, 12 year, <laughs> um, was, was just because Emily was here. I was in Leamington at the time, and I was in a setup where there were two houses, and we just did everything together. We were just, you know, told each other what was going on. Um, there was a real depth of friendship. And then I moved to Nottingham, and um, you'd sort of have these, like, dinner dates with, you know, another sort of couple essentially and I was like where is the depth of friendship where is that where is that relationship where where do you actually ask each other the difficult questions and I found that really hard and um what I found was there's a there's a certain phase of life which is such a valuable phase of life where you where you do um really get to know each other deeply that can happen when you're married but it sometimes takes a bit more time and emily's right around um in some things she's right around the uh the sense that uh, <laughs> the sense that um it, it there is a sort of there is a sacrifice involved and it does um you do get there but you do invest in your married relationship as well and that's very important to to, to go deeper there I think the only thing I'd add is that it's people do change. Like we're not the same people that we are five years ago or ten years ago, and that's actually that's actually okay. And actually, if you you're friends with people and then you move away and maybe they don't get to be part of significant things that happen in your life, I think a lot of friendship is built around like you know really knowing what's going on in someone's life and whatnot. And actually, because of many factors, that might no longer be the case after a certain number of years. Um, so you might not have the same depth of friendship. I, and I just think, actually, that, that is okay, and it's just recognising that things change over time and people change over time. Sometimes there is loss associated with that, and I think it's okay to to acknowledge that. But, um, but yeah, I suppose, essentially, yeah, that it's just acknowledge that people do change and things change, and, and that is okay as well. Yeah, great. And let's dig a little bit more into this kind of dynamic of friendship. Um, how do you foster healthy relationships, friendships with those of the opposite sex. And just thinking like, there's another dynamic added in sometimes and the kind of like, does she like, do I like, and and some of that, and trying to keep this kind of brotherly, sissy friendship and go deep in that without kind of crossing any boundaries and and causing any harm and hurt to people, any wisdom on those sorts of things? 
Hmm. <laughs> no. Okay, next question. Um, I, I can tell you, I came from a sort of fairly messed up place in this, in that before I was a Christian, like literally my identity was in who I was going out with at the time. And um, I just went from one relationship to another. They always ended up being three months in length of time. I don't know why, but that's how it was. But literally, one after another after another. And um, I became a Christian um, age 20. And I thought, right, I'm going to have two years off, essentially, where I'm not going to um, even try and pursue relationships. And Chris spoke brilliantly about this, that our identity is so much more than just in relationships. Our identity comes from God. It's not about our relationships. It's not about what we do. It's not about sort of sexuality. It's our relation, our, our identity first and foremost is God. And um, so as soon as you pull your identity out of a particular relationship, it then allows you to have healthier relationships and to love and care for people um, the way you should do. Um, and, yeah, the, the sort of agape love, the, you know, 1 Corinthians 13 love, putting the other person first, um, that is super helpful. And also, it's a balance between taking it seriously and loving and caring for people and treating people with respect and not being too intense about it at the yeah, same right. time. Because you can, we can just overthink things. And, you know, um, yeah. Just about how we foster relationships, particularly like guy to girl, and like maintaining friendship without it like leaking into something else. Yeah, or, and just having a bit of wisdom in that because I think there's a dynamic well, there that. Put a, if a Bible can fit between you, all right. That's why I was always told. <laughs> <laughs> Make room for Jesus. I think it's it can be quite a tricky thing, can't it? Because you're like, I can yeah. have friends that are guys, and I can have friends that are girls. Like, why not? And I definitely. Um, had some really and have some really close friends that are of the opposite sex and in my first and second years at uni probably hung out loads with guys um, but I think there is something it can be a bit of a slippery slope when you're both at like a similar age you're both single you're both going out for coffee which seems to be like the Christian place to meet everyone doesn't it and, well, I hate coffee so it didn't really work for me <laughs> but um, that it suddenly can take on for one or, uh, or the other person something a little bit more and I think you have to be quite careful to guard your heart, but also think, how am I coming across to this other person? Like, if we're going for coffee every week and I'm sharing, kind of like Alex was saying, the intimate details of my life, is this just going to stay a friendship? Is, is this something that could be misleading? Is this something that actually now I am putting myself into more than I should be? Maybe this should be going to God first or wise counsel first or, you know, my girlfriends or guy friends around me. But if I'm giving it all to this one guy or one girl over coffee, somewhere romantic... Um, then actually it can become a bit of a slippery slope and there's probably lots of friendships I can think of that maybe had to end quite abruptly because one or the other felt, oh, I thought this was something more. And, you know, if you've got a friend that's saying that to you, like, oh, I, I thought this was something more, then maybe you have to kind of step back and think, what have I, how, sort of, how have I portrayed myself that I think we're just, you know, best friends, brother in Christ, classic, and they think so much more of it. Um, so I think... There's no like, hard and fast rule of you can never go out you know, for a, a friend, with a friend for coffee or for drinks or for dinner of the opposite sex. But I think you have to be very careful. Um, you know where your heart might be at sometimes. You don't know where theirs is. Um, you don't know what, what you might say that could perhaps lead them on in a way that you're not anticipating. So I'd just say be careful. I think group hangs are 
are a wonderful thing. <laughs> if you've got some friends of the opposite sex and you like want to hang out but you don't want to mislead, because um, it can be a bit of a slippery slope. Yeah. Ow. And and we just, I think the thing is it's not um, not to be legalistic about it as well. So we've kind of said yeah. if you. If you find yourself in a situation one-on-one -on -one with someone, don't yeah. silly freak out and be like, I'm sorry, I can't walk home with you because this could, this could get weird or whatnot. But, um, but yeah, so there's, it's not legalism, but it is, as we said, it's, it's just wisdom and it's being discerning. And sometimes it's fine for a bit and then actually you hit a point where you're like, oh, I'm not sure. I suddenly feel a bit weird about this or maybe I don't feel the same way to this person as I did before. And the dynamic seems to have shifted slightly and I just need to be aware of that. And I think the, the other thing that you have to be aware of is not just how you're coming across the other person, but you know, in a community of this size, like how other people are perceiving what's going on as well. And, and who knows if you, you both are like, absolutely nothing going on here, but friend sees it and it's like, oh, I, I like that person. So now I'm, I'm, there's an issue between you and me. And like all of this stuff can just get quite complex. And so I think we just have to be wise about like how we're coming across, what's being presented, and just being a little bit more attuned to that can be helpful sometimes. Um, very specific question, which actually came in a few times. Um, this age-old, like, I think someone might like me, but I'm not there. How do I handle that situation in a way that honors them, isn't mean, and does it in a healthy way? Any wisdom on that? Because I think that came through a few times. We're holding the mics on this side, aren't we? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, Simply communication is helpful, and just being real with the person, telling them lovingly, caringly, don't assume it's going to go away. Um, so many of us can create these incredible like, um, things in our heads, can't we, about what the relationship could be like, or, you know, yeah, so just being, just being real and lovingly tell them. And it's a hard conversation to have, but actually have the conversation rather than text them or do anything like yeah, that. Yeah, or as just well. think you know and figure it out behind the scenes. Yeah, and yeah, 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 absolutely. Yeah. yeah. And like, don't leave any hope if you definitely don't want it. Um, I think lots of people can be misled with that. Like, oh, I don't feel, I, I don't think I feel that way yet. And the yet or that kind of misleading little oh, yeah, bit at yeah, the end <laughs> leaves you know, the other person hanging like, oh, I'll wait a bit. And I mean, that ended up being our story anyway, didn't it? And we got together afterwards. So <laughs> my poor communication do? worked out well for both of us. But much better to be clear, frank, cut it, than you, to hurt both sides. You reminded me of that Dumb and Dumber sketch. I don't know if you've seen it where, it's basically, <laughs> this is probably an age-old reference, but very quickly, the guy, um, the girl goes, there's a 99% chance, yeah. chance that we're not going to go out. And he's like, there's still a 1% chance. Right. Yes. Cling on to that. <laughs> Great. Um, let's, let's move then just, I would love to get, um, Alex, just kind of your thought and perspective on like single life and how to live that well in a godly way um, and kind of make the most of that season. What are your thoughts on that? Big question. Also, I, I mean, first, I'm very happy to be fifth wheeling on this <laughs> amazing panel here. So. Oh, I've been an Emily tonight. So okay. <laughs> no, um, yeah, singleness. So it's a, a big topic. Maybe a lot of people find themselves in this place. I think the first thing to say is, what does the Bible say about singleness? The Bible says singleness is a great thing and it is a gift. And it says marriage is a great thing and it's a gift. And they are completely equal in that respect. Um, I kind of think of it, I don't know if this is a helpful analogy, but almost if you have a triangle and you have three points and you've got singleness and you've got um, marriage and at the top, I suppose, is your apex of like what's complete 
purpose and fulfillment and happiness and joy. As Christians, for us, that is, in, that is to be found in Christ. And, that, and you have a direct line to that as a single person. And you have a direct line to that um, yeah, when great. you're in marriage yeah. as well. I think the difficulty that we have is we live in a world and a culture um, where a relationship or marriage is seen as like something that you graduate into or it's like the next step of the journey. And so what can inadvertently happen is it's like singleness level one, marriage level two, uh, yeah. kids level three, and like you're getting closer to that apex through this route. Um, and actually that isn't the case and that's, that's not the way that it works. Unfortunately, if we do have that mind view, that's when it's like, oh, I'm single, so there's something wrong with me, or I'm missing out, or I'm not completely, I can't be completely whole or fulfilled until I find someone, um, or God's withholding from me, and we get disillusioned and disappointed and whatnot, because actually, in our heads, like, that is, that is the next thing, and otherwise, we're kind of just stuck at level one, and we will be forever until we, until we meet that person. So I think, firstly, it is getting a biblical view of it. That's not always easy. It is something that I've... Um, I have found difficult and I have struggled with, and actually God's really challenged me on it, specifically in the last six months as well. Um, if you'd have asked me six months ago, like, are you content being single? I'd be like, yeah, I'm fine. And um, yeah, just to be really honest with you, I felt God challenge me and kind of say, basically, because you can walk around and be like, if I get married or if I meet someone, and actually I felt God really challenge me and be like, what if that what if that never happens like am i enough for you um wow. will you still follow me uh, and all this kind of stuff and my honest reaction was actually that i just freaked out for a couple of days and i was like oh my goodness what but what that showed me was that even inadvertently i'd kind of be like yeah god i'll love you i'll follow you i'll be for you as long as eventually i get to be in a relationship or whatnot and it just showed me that actually I've, i have been thinking about it um, I have been thinking about it wrong, and that's not that's not the way it is. So it's actually quite freeing once you get to a stage to be like, oh, like this isn't the next thing, and I can have all this fulfillment and joy and purpose yeah. without being in relationship. And it doesn't necessarily mean that you don't still have that desire. Like I do still have a desire to be married, but it's now not a thing that holds me back or that stops me from doing what I want to do or being who I want to be. And actually. I believe that God, um, yeah, God will either choose to fulfill that or he won't. And actually, I feel a lot more um, okay with that. So it's been a journey. I, that's not something that I could have come up with on my own or something that I could have worked through by myself. But like, it's, it is a change that God has and is continuing to, to um, bring about in me. And I can keep talking. Um, <laughs> <laughs> but I'd also say the other thing is like, let's not put marriage on a pedestal like I said because they are yeah, equal good. and they're equal in the eyes of God I, I think the most profound thing I ever heard about singleness and marriage was simply that there are joys and there are challenges in being single and there are joys and there are challenges in being married and actually all you do is kind of exchange um, <laughs> what brings you joy and what's, what's challenging so they both have their joys and they both have their challenges um, rather than like, oh, once you get married, then you have more joy and you have fewer challenges or, or anything like that. That's great. So helpful. Thank you. Um, let, let's flip then to uh, something that came up in regards to marriage is this question of kind of if you have certain issues in your life ahead of getting married, the expectation then that, oh, well, hopefully marriage will help sort that out and be part of the solution and then actually finding that not be the case. 
any advice on anyone that's in that situation, kind of wisdom on ahead of time, how you can solve that? Well, I just agree with you, yeah. Okay. <laughs> and I think, you know, what Alex was saying about um, basically, like, learning to be content in whatever situation you're in. And, like, Paul talks about, doesn't he, the secret of being content in any circumstance. And actually, if you're looking to marriage to solve problems, then that's not... Well, anything in our lives, we think, if I had that, life would be okay. If I had that job, whatever it is, we're kind of putting that in some way, making it an idol. And yeah. actually, that's not a healthy place to get into a relationship from because you're coming to a relationship wanting to get something from it. And as Chris has um, been talking to us tonight, the best, the best relationships where both people are giving to the other person. That's when you're both, both the most fulfilled. That's when you're both really um, loving each other. So I think... It applies to this as well, the whole issue of being single, and, and to think that somehow um, either getting married will solve a problem in your life, that, oh, I feel insecure or whatever. If I'm married, it's going to fix that. You're then just looking to the other person to get something from them, which just is not a healthy place to be when we're looking. I mean, obviously, you do get that from your husband or your wife, but the kind of motivation to be married to fulfill something in you, or that some area of your life magically will just get solved by being married. I would say, like, being married, like, I mean, you know, Ben, being in a relationship with Ben, marrying Ben, it's been, like, the best thing for me in terms of knowing God better, understanding myself better, understanding who I am in God better. So there's great joys, and, and I would say it's the best sort of discipleship context, if you like, because uh, yeah. <laughs> can't run away from it. But, so there's lots of great things about um, <laughs> obviously being married, and it does, it's really helped me in my work with God, but I wouldn't look to marriage to solve anything, and I think, yeah, definitely working through stuff before. Yeah, it's great. As, as well as potentially putting marriage on a pedestal, you can also put people who've been married for a long time on a pedestal and think, oh, wow, they've got everything all together and all sorted. And the more you get to know people, the more you realize that it's simple. And if you don't talk through stuff as and when things happen, then eventually these problems don't disappear and eventually yeah. they just come back. And so uh, giving things to God, how, working out a way of communication that suits uh, both of you is absolutely vital and it's a lifelong skill. And, but it's worth discussions arguing about and getting to the bottom of it because it's, it's what makes or breaks a marriage. Great. Now I'm going to dot around a couple of kind of topic areas. Um, a couple of interesting things came through about um, like the concept of like love at first sight mm-hmm. and, and also the question on um, like how much does physical attraction have to play a part in like actually at first, I don't know, I, I didn't notice them or that I wasn't attracted to them but there's a, a friendship here that actually I really enjoy. And is that okay? Like, can physical attraction come later? Like, I just thought they were very interesting questions, so I'd love to hear some of your thoughts on, on those. I think it probably works both ways. Like, I, I mean, I met Ben um, at his birthday, actually, at his birthday party. He says I gate-crashed it, but it's slightly different to that. But um, <laughs> I was invited. Um, but I, I was like, oh, there are... Because I was... You know, I was really old. I was 24. I felt old. I was like, I've been through uni. I've still not met anybody. Is it ever going to happen? Um, but then met Ben, and I was like, oh, there are some good-looking Christian nice guys still out there. So there was an element of finding attractive. <laughs> Back in the day. A long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> um, and then 
but that was yeah and then we got to know each other better and obviously that grew and that grew but I think it and definitely know couples where actually there's a couple in this church and I will not say who they are um because I haven't got permission I'm sure they wouldn't mind but um where the I think the guy asked the girl actually like no I'm not interested I'm not interested but he he pursued her and he like used to walk her home from like no it wasn't you it's like your stuff <laughs> okay um, and he used to meet her after lectures and walk her home and and like in that, just getting to know him, and then I guess there must have been a point been like, okay, I'm gonna just open myself up to see where it goes. Then now they're married and they're very happy. And and I think we can try and box things in and create rules like, oh, I've got to find them attractive straight away, or um, like, oh, I've only find them attractive. Maybe there's no depth to it. And I think it's it's not helpful. I think both things happen. But I do think we are wired that the more time we spend with people, we do start to find them attractive. I think that's like a scientific thing. And yeah. And I think it comes back a bit to what you're saying about spending lots of time with people of the opposite sex. That can be great, because then something can happen. And But you just need to be aware of that dynamic, I suppose. Yeah, yeah, Did that absolutely. answer your question? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And I think also, as well as, it's so easy to think just on a physical level, but in any relation, there's also like an emotional level that maybe you just don't see all the time. And so as you develop a friendship, like emotionally, you start giving yourself to that person, and you start kind of, they're increasingly a connection there, which then if there isn't anything to happen is hard to break and is painful. So uh, we have to make sure we're kind of aware of what's, what's happening anytime we're in those dynamics. Um, we'll nip ahead to something else. Um, dating a non-Christian came up and advice on ending a relationship came up. Um, quick fire questions now. So any thoughts on a couple of those things? Don't date non-Christians. <laughs> um, been there, done that like not good not good at all you think you're gonna flirt to convert and all of that and get them on your side and but it just ended up with me very brokenhearted very far away from God and a lot a lot to unpack um before he kind of redeemed lots of things for me to then enjoy once I found Chris um so yeah my biggest advice is don't honestly honestly no um, you can ask me more about it now that's very hard and fast for me there but feel free to chat to me afterwards I won't go into the ins and out and gory detail now but Please come find me if that's something you are finding tricky. Um, I'd love to chat to you. And it's not because non-Christians aren't great. Like we all have a lot of non-Christian friends who are who are wonderful, and whatnot. But you know, it's like what what are we living for? And actually, it's very difficult then to to be in a relationship with someone who isn't living for the same thing. Like as Christians are you know, how we spend our time and what we do with our money and where we live and, I don't know, all these things. Um, we we want to be open to God and influenced by that. And, you know, it's not to say that a lot of non-Christians are very open and, um, you know, kind of like, hey, you, you do what you want to do. But ultimately, like, the further you go in it, the more apparent those differences um, become. And then, obviously, the much harder it is to, to sustain a relationship. And actually, you know, if... You, you can, you know, you can go to God with these things, but this person kind of just isn't really there. It, it just puts a lot of strain on the relationship. And, and to be honest, this isn't something that I've always believed. So um, I didn't grow up believing, like, actually, I actually found it really annoying that Christians only date Christians. I'm like, oh, my gosh, that's so narrow-minded and, and, <laughs> and all this kind of thing. But, but again, the more I've, the more I've grown in, in my faith and, and, and be really clear on what I believe and, and why I believe it, then actually the more it was like, actually... I don't want to. I don't want to be with a non-Christian. Like I said, not because they're not great, but but because it's like I'm living for something different, and I really want to partner with someone who is also living for that same thing, and yeah, and that's something good. God has changed my heart for. And then and enough to still be single when 
in other context, I'm not like boasting, but in other contexts, I couldn't, I could not be single if I chose to to date an unchristian. It's really, really good. One last question, and then we'll wrap it up. Um, just had a few questions come through on kind of issues of lust, comments on pornography, whether that be um, I'm not in a relationship, but I feel like this is a struggle for me, um, or we're in a relationship, but we're struggling with the physical aspect. Um, have you guys got any advice on how to handle kind of either of those before head of relationship, which is maybe just you, then once you're in a relationship, how to handle that sort of side of things? Just really quickly, a comment on porn, pornography in society and society's view on it and how yeah. much it's just shifted massively over the last sort of 20, 25 years. When I was sort of 16, 17, 18, it was FHM, loaded. There was a sort of, you still watch Friends, so there was the Friends jokes about sort of porn and it just being like a bit of a joke. And then it became so prevalent in society and such a key part of things. I mean, at university... Like I wasn't a Christian for the first couple of years of university. My housemates, um, their life when they weren't going out was uh, smoking weed, watching porn and playing chess all at the same time often. <laughs> it was a totally random combination. But so weird. So, so weird. And, uh, and I'd, I'd come back from church in an evening and that was... Wow. Yeah, yeah, anyway. Um, so there was, there's that whole thing. Of, oh, it's just a bit of a joke, and it's just yeah, yeah. a little bit of what society is. And then I think society's realising the damage it potentially causes. So I read a Guardian article a couple of years ago, and it was talking about just how it can, it can mess up um, proper sexual relationships uh, it, when you're when you're married or when you're when you're in a relationship and it can it can actually sort of change your wiring and that and it's a very selfish act whereas um, sets right is a very selfless act and so uh, society's beginning to realise that there are yeah, some problems yeah. with pornography and the prevalence of it um, the Bible. It's very clear about it, and it just sort of talks about how, um, you know, we're supposed to give ourselves to, to one person, and pornography stops you from doing that. In terms of um, what to do about it, because we are in such a hypersexualized society, our focus should be on God, and you can end up it becoming such an overwhelming issue that that's kind of all you think about overcoming, and you should be focusing on God. And taught and getting these things out in the open and talking to someone who you trust and you and and who you appreciate and and who ha has wisdom and make yourself accountable there, but focus on God and all the goodness that He is, rather than just this this issue because it can actually become bigger than it actually needs to yeah. uh, to be. Yeah, great. And um, I just want to add, and I'm going to take the opportunity to say it like. This is applicable to women as well. Um, yeah. Let's not be ignorant about, about the fact that women um, can and do struggle with pornography and with lust and whatnot as well. And I'm basically to say, like, there's no shame in being open and honest about it. And actually, let's create a culture where it's okay for, for um, women in particular, because I think there's maybe more, maybe more of a stigma about yeah. it, uh, to be able to do that and to be able to talk about that as well. Okay, great. I think we'll wrap it up there. We, I mean, we could go on for ages. Um, just on that, that last point that Ben was making, I think with any issues in relationship, like I think the devil loves us to try and keep it a secret. Like he loves keeping things in the shadows, like likes us to, it's almost like to fester in ourselves. And like I say, it becomes bigger than actually it, it needs to be. Like God's made us to be in community. And I would hate for anyone 
male or female, to be in a place of struggling with shame and keeping this big secret they think it is, like, please talk to people. Like, let's do this together. Let's help one another. And as I said at the beginning, let's have loads of grace for each other. God's got plenty for us. So, like, we can do it in a healthy way as well. Um, we'll draw a line at everything there. Um, thank you guys so, so much for being part of this. And um, it's worth saying that there are things that we have not covered naturally. Like, we had, what, 20 minutes or so to blitz relationships across the board and things that we haven't delved into, like actually the depth and detail in marriage and what that's like and conflict resolution, homosexuality and transgender questions. Like, There's lots of things that we have not gone into tonight. We recognize that and know that. As I said at the beginning, tonight is not the fix-all solution. right? Like, If your issue or something you're living with hasn't been covered, um, Please chat to either us, other leaders that you know, people on staff, your group leaders, your peers. Like we want to be starting this conversation and engaging with it as a church and a community. So, so please don't think, oh, well, it didn't, I didn't get my answer this evening or my topic wasn't covered. Like let's continue this chat together and, uh, and see how God uh, changes us and makes us into a revolutionary community that we can be. Um, should we give these guys a round of applause? Thank you.